0: Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. You know, I've noticed in the last few months how frequently and with greater zeal we see people invoking science, especially during this recent pandemic, And uh, it's almost reached a fever pitch, more than I've ever seen it before. People will often make reference to following the science or doing what the scientists tell us to do. We need to be people of science, and rightfully so, because after all, we're dealing with a disease and we're dealing with a medical emergency. And science is at the heart of the medical practice. We want to follow what science has discovered about preventing a disease overcoming a disease if we catch it, and especially in uh, the medical treatment of a various disease, especially during a time of pandemic and epidemic. But nowadays, people are invoking science as almost like a one-upmanship of intelligence and education, and they're invoking science almost as much as people used to invoke the will of God in doing things as a kind of one-upmanship giving themselves greater credibility because they're doing it following the science. Whereas at one time, people gave themselves credibility by saying, well, we're following the will of God. This is God's will. And it really hasn't been that long ago that people were still doing that. And in a way, people still do it today, although that's a discussion for another podcast and how people tend to invoke God nowadays. But people invoke science the same way people at one time invoked God and God's will. And in many ways, science has become the religion of the time. We don't question the science. We don't question the scientists, which in many ways is contrary to the spirit of science. Science is always asking questions, always studying. The experts are always challenging each other. But when we use that invoking of the science. When we say we're following the science, we want to follow the science. I'm a person who believes in science, or a person is not as smart because they don't believe in science. We tend not to question that. We tend to back off when someone says, I'm following the science. But how do people respond when you bring up a question of faith? We need to follow the moral law. We need to follow God's law. We want to follow God's will. Well, immediately people will often fall back on the old cliche, the separation of church and state. Now, when you really think about that, how are they applying that separation of church and state? Basically, they're saying keep religion out of matters of state. But how do they understand the state? When you see the rate in which people are objecting to religious symbolism in public, period, a manger scene at a park, the Ten Commandments in a courtroom. Forget that the Ten Commandments were a major milestone in the development of law. It's religious, it's not to be anywhere. We've really expanded the state to anything in the public realm. But it's not a separation of church and the public realm. It's separation of church and state. But they've expanded it to pretty much anything outside the privacy of the home. Must be devoid of religion. And they use such phrases as freedom from religion as their misinterpretation to freedom of religion. Almost as if it seems to be generally understood that the state has more freedom when religion is not present or interfering or involved. People have more freedom when they are not religious Freedom is more a factor. Liberty is more a factor with the absence of religion. But is there anyone who can give me a society or a nation? Especially in the 20th century, we have plenty of examples to the contrary, in which an atheistic state was more free. In fact, the opposite was the case. The greatest examples of tyranny were in countries that were atheist, But the greatest examples of freedom were in nations that respected the presence and encouraged the activity that comes from a religious faith. But today, religion is seen in a negative light. Let's face it, particularly by atheists, because they believe that when you don't have religion, you are in fact free. A freedom from religion. And they will say religion is too restraining has too many rules. The morality is imposing a standard on people who don't exactly adhere to the faith or profess the faith or belief in a particular religion. And we'll use the excuse, well, there are just too many rules. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We don't want a society with no rules. A society with no rules is anarchy, and not too many people survive for very long, in societies in which there are no rules, in which anarchy is the standard. Because without rules, there would be chaos. So we do need a set of laws that we as a society agree upon. What religion brings is the understanding that there is a higher power. And it is from that higher power that we receive these standards and these rules and these laws. If it were just a human power, or a human influence, humanity and its passions ebb and flow can change. But with a sense of religion and a sense of a higher power that is God, then the rules have more of a sense of being absolute, universal for all times and all places and under all circumstances. And so while one might consider themselves to be free without religion, how free are we really without the standards that come from a religious faith? In the end, we're just jerked around by the zeitgeist of the population or by a ruling elite. But when there are absolute truths that come from God that lead to laws and standards that everyone must follow, then we find we become a much more free society. And one thing about the United States is it was founded on Judeo-Christian values and the Judeo-Christian faith. And in that and from that came the basic foundation of freedom and liberty on which this nation was founded that led to, in the First Amendment, the first freedom, freedom of religion. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Okay, this Christian society founded on freedom, well, wasn't it founded with slavery? We were not founded on slavery, but founded With slavery, there's a big difference. And we are a nation that abolished slavery. And the abolitionist movement, when all is said and done, was first and foremost a Christian movement. But people will still say, again, to diminish the influence of Christianity, well, doesn't the Bible and Christianity condone and foster slavery? Wasn't it the Christian roots of this country that maintained slavery? and enable this country to be founded with slavery. Because after all, isn't slavery in the Bible? Yes, slavery is in the Bible. The Bible does speak of slavery, but it doesn't moralize on it. It's an interesting thing to note when you look at the question of slavery in the Bible, the Bible really doesn't moralize on slavery. But when you look at its presence in the Bible, the movement that the Bible takes us as a whole, is toward freedom. First and foremost, we have the exodus from Egypt. Was it a good thing that the Hebrew people were in slavery? No. The fact that they were God's chosen people, of course, helped the matter a bit because it meant God was going to intervene. But the Bible tells the story that it is God's desire that to form a people that will be his people, they must be a people who are free liberated from slavery. Now you might ask, well, didn't the Hebrews have slaves? And the answer to that is, of course, yes. But remember, the Hebrews lived at a time in which there was slavery everywhere. But slavery rose with human civilization. Once humanity stopped being hunter-gatherers and wanderers, once they became established agrarian societies, that's when you saw slavery on the rise in human civilization. Slavery existed in every major civilization, everywhere, on every continent. In China, from the second millennium before Christ, the Code of Hammurabi in Mesopotamia codified slavery, prescribed the death penalty to anyone who helped slaves escape. We read in the Bible, of course, and know from history that Egypt had slaves. Ancient Greece used slaves. The Roman Empire used slaves. And even in the Americas, Long before the first African slaves were brought to America, the Aztec Empire, the Incan Empire, the Creek and Comanches in what are now Georgia and Texas had slaves, but these were not racially based. It was Europeans enslaving other Europeans, Mesopotamians enslaving Mesopotamians, Asians enslaving other Asians, and so on. So it makes sense that in the Bible, the Hebrews would be also a society in which slavery was present. But if you look in the book of Exodus, right after the Ten Commandments, which comes right after the Hebrews were freed from their own slavery, God gives laws that regulate slavery, not the least of which is in the commandment regarding the Sabbath, the fourth commandment in the book of Exodus, the third commandment in the book of Deuteronomy, you must keep holy the Sabbath... That is a commandment in which slaves one day a week are elevated to equal status with their masters and with everyone else. Because what does the commandment say? The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. No work may be done either by you or your son or daughter or your male or female slave or your beast of burden or resident alien. So along with the master and his children, the slave was granted a day of rest. Everyone is on an equal footing on that day that is the Sabbath. That was revolutionary. In short, the slaves were free at least one day a week. But when you read on, it also, in the book of Exodus, grants liberation to slaves during a sabbatical year. Right after the Ten Commandments, God goes into, in chapter 21 of the book of Exodus, laws regarding the slaves. When you purchase a Hebrew slave, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall be given his freedom without cost. Every seven years, slaves are to be freed. However, of course, there are ins and outs of that law. If you were to have children, the children would not be freed. But it goes on to say that a person can choose to remain a slave because he's dedicated to his master or because he chooses to remain with his wife and children. So yes, there are provisions in which a person would remain in slavery, but the important thing is a person can choose to remain a slave, and that's spelled out in the book of Exodus. And perhaps the most important part is the book of Exodus forbids kidnapping for the purpose of slavery, which is the primary source of slaves, conquest and kidnapping. But the Bible forbids that in Exodus chapter 21 verse 16. So yes, slavery is in the Old Testament, but the law of God moves toward emancipation in freeing the Hebrews and giving even slaves a day of rest and ordering, requiring that all slaves be liberated every 7 years. And if one is to remain a slave one chooses to remain a slave. But people would often say, you know, well, Jesus doesn't condemn slavery, so Christianity fosters slavery. And that's correct, but misleading, because yes, Jesus doesn't condemn or condone slavery outright, but rather speaks of it as simply a matter of fact in Jewish society, where he'll say such things as, no slave can serve two masters. It's a metaphor that people can readily relate to because they know of that status in their society. No slave can serve two masters. Aside from that, slavery is spoken of in the New Testament in terms of our previous servitude to sin. We were slaves to sin. And in contrast, now it's spoken of as a state of being in service to God. We are now slaves to God. In some places, we are spoken of as being slaves to one another out of deference to our servitude to God. And even in terms of equality before God, St. Paul says there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. It doesn't, however, encourage emancipation outright. St. Paul does not, again, moralize on slavery. But he simply tells people to be good Christians in whatever state they find themselves in. He'll say, slaves, obey your earthly masters do not be concerned about if you were a slave when you were called. Make use of your present condition now more than ever. So we don't see too much moralizing of slavery or a call that slavery should end. And again, many people would say, see, there it shows. The New Testament and Christianity does not condemn slavery. But in many ways, it takes a different angle. And we find that angle in what is the shortest, or one of the shortest books in the Bible. And despite the fact that it is one of the shortest, it is perhaps one of the least read. And that is the letter of Paul to Philemon, which some will make reference to as an illustration of how the Bible condones slavery, because the background to the letter of Paul to Philemon is that Philemon was a friend and associate of St. Paul, and Philemon had a slave, Obviously, a number of slaves, but one slave in particular named Onesimus had run away and had run away to Paul. And while he was with Paul, he converted to Christianity. And Paul, in his letter to Philemon, was sending Onesimus back to his master. And this letter was accompanying Onesimus. So again, people say, look, there it is, it's right there. St. Paul sends a slave back to his master. I'll often ask people when they say that to me, have you even read the letter to Philemon? It's only 25 verses long. It's not even divided into chapters. And more often than not, they haven't. But Paul puts a twist on this. He's respectful of Philemon. Yes, this is his slave. He's returning Onesimus to Philemon. But he encourages him to receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Now, what exactly is Paul encouraging here? What is he manipulating Philemon to do? Paul is one of the leading Christian apostles, one of the leading evangelizers. Philemon is a Christian. Now, Onesimus is a Christian. And Paul is telling Philemon, don't see Onesimus as a slave. See him as a brother. And that's a complete shift in attitude that would have been revolutionary at that time. A slave was a slave was a slave. A slave knew his master, and the master had dominion over the slave. But Paul is now telling Philemon to see Onesimus as a brother. And what does that imply Philemon will do when he receives Onesimus? Because of that, there was, in Western civilization, especially in Christian Europe, the attitude, if not the trend, that Christians do not enslave other Christians. And the more the Roman Empire became Christian, the less you saw the presence of slavery in Roman society. So in effect, because of Christianity, slavery disappeared in Europe because Christians would not enslave other Christians. So with the rise of Christianity, slavery began to disappear and pretty much had disappeared in Europe by the fall of the Roman Empire. In places like Great Britain, By twelve hundred, slavery was non-existent, and Charlemagne, crowned king of the Holy Roman Empire in eight hundred A.D., Charlemagne was against slavery. Now, yes, they had other feudal systems such as the serfs, but it was not the institution of slavery in Europe. So, in other words, Christianity led to liberation. Different systems, yes, occurred but slavery disappeared. Did it continue to exist? Yes. Were people continually enslaved? Yes. With the rise of Islam and the Barbary pirates and the coastal raids in the Mediterranean, you saw Europeans being kidnapped and taken to slavery. In the Battle of Lepanto, the Ottoman Empire's naval forces used over 12,000 Christians as galley slaves but there was a mediterranean slave trade in european slaves and this trade was based in northern africa in algeria tripolitana tunisia and these were muslim territories and if you're familiar with the story of the children's crusade nowadays people are questioning its historicity but at least what's the story the children made it to the coast of france and italy commissioned ships to take them to the holy land so that they can conduct their own children's crusade and those that were not killed in shipwrecks were taken to northern africa where they were sold as slaves european children sold as slaves in northern africa in 1650 there were over 35000 christian european slaves in algiers and the barbary pirates continued to flourish and menaced the Mediterranean Sea until the 19th century, acquiring slaves from coastal raids along the European coast. And that slave trade continued until the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and was a threat until the 18th and 19th centuries. Now, of course, with the settlement in the New World, we saw a rise in African slaves. And that came with the rise of Protestantism, nationalism, and the Enlightenment. Now, am I saying that these things caused slavery to have a resurgence in Europe, or at least in the European colonies? No, because there were still Catholic slaves as well. But it sure coincided with the rise of these three movements, Protestantism, nationalism, and the Enlightenment. But with the founding of the United States, the Western world was at a crossroads in which, for the first time, slavery was being questioned morally. Was everyone condemning it? No. That's why it was being questioned. That's why it was being debated. But the only place in the world in which this debate was taking place was the Western European world. Nowhere else where slavery existed was this debate taking place. It was, it was occurring for the first time in history, and it was occurring in the West. And why did this become a topic of moral discussion in the West? Because Europe was a Christian society. And with the rise of Christianity came the end of slavery in Europe. And when it started to rise again with the settlement of the New World, there was a debate regarding its morality. This debate would not have occurred without Christianity, without the faith, without the church. Because wherever slavery exists, it has been a people of Christian faith that has moved toward emancipation, including this country. And the United States met that challenge. And had this country not been deeply rooted in Christian values, we perhaps would not have had emancipation and perhaps would not have had a constitution that allowed emancipation to take place. But when this country was founded, what did we have? We had, in the Declaration of Independence, an acknowledgement, not of the rule of humanity, but of the rule of God. The presence and protection of religion in this society so that we can be a free society. And we find that in the Declaration of Independence. In the preamble... When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Right away in the Declaration of Independence is a reference to nature and nature's God, the laws of nature and of nature's God. In his statement of principles, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Note, it doesn't say endowed by the state. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So what is government there to do? is there to protect the rights that we have received from God. In other words, without religion, we would not acknowledge or have any awareness that our rights come from God, nor the insistence that the government is there to protect our rights, not grant us rights, but protect rights that have been given to us by God. One might even say, even if the government doesn't want to acknowledge the existence of God, the Declaration of Independence states that the government is there to protect God-given rights whether the government or the state believes in God is not the issue. Whether the government believes in God or not, they are there to protect our God-given rights. And finally, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish it. And to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such a form as to them shall deem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. In other words, when government fails to protect our God-given rights, it is our God-given right to replace it with another government that will, which is what we do whenever we have an election. So when we talk about the separation of church and state, it is not there to protect the state from the church. It is to protect the church from the state. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Without faith, there would be no freedom. It's because of Christianity that slavery diminished in Europe. And when it grew again, the era of colonialism, it became the subject of debate in European society, in Western Christian society, until ultimately it was abolished. And this country is founded on religious principles a philosophy that we have rights given to us not by the state, but by God, and that God blesses us in these rights, and that it's the government that needs to stay out of matters of religion, not the other way around. Do I want a state religion? No. But there should be nothing that stops a religious person from running for office and allowing their religion to influence how they conduct themselves in office, because it's with religion that we can truly be a free society. Without it, what did we see? We saw Nazi Germany was an atheistic society. Communist Russia was an atheistic society. Communist China, Communist Cuba, North Korea, all secular atheist societies. Whenever a society has been secular to the point of atheism and a forbidding of the presence of religion, that's when freedom has disappeared. And that is why... Our first freedom in this country, in its founding, is the freedom of religion, to be protected by the government. And it is from that we have all our other freedoms. And I sincerely believe that if ever we lose our freedom of religion, not freedom from religion, our freedom of religion, that we will lose our other freedoms. We have a freedom of religion. And it is because we are religious people that we are free people. When the state can dominate religion, then there aren't much freedoms left. But when religion is free, then the standards of that religion can keep the state in check and keep all of us in check and keep our society from descending into anarchy and the laws that we agree to adhering to a universal standard that doesn't change. So when people say we need to be people of science, let me ask you, when has science ever provided freedom? But because we are a religious society, yes, we were founded with slavery, but it was because we are a religious society and because abolition was a Christian movement that we saw an end to slavery, as any good Christian society should since the very birth of Christianity itself. So, we are not a society that should have freedom from religion, because freedom from religion is the beginning of the end of freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom from atheistic secularism, is what will assure freedom. Because without faith, there is no freedom. And we can thank God that we have been founded on a free society in which religion and faith, in particular, Christianity, is very much a presence and will continue to be so as long as we stand up for our freedom of religion in the face of secular atheists for whom science is only their convenient religion whenever they find it advantageous to invoke. We, on the other hand, if we stand up to that as a free people of faith, we will continue to see freedom flourish in our society rather than the tyranny of atheistic secularism that feels free and at liberty to invoke science as their standard, whereas our faith is the standard that we live and the standard on which this nation was founded. Because without faith, there is no freedom. So I thank you for joining me, and with any luck, I'll see you again soon.